Hello and welcome to the Xenothesis podcast. This is episode 43, in which we're covering chapter 1 of part 3 Chutkaichtak of book 2, Adulthood Rights of the Xenogenesis Trilogy by Octavia Butler. My name is Richard Acton, and I am joined uh, in this uh, ship entity by my co-host. Michael Glinka, hi everyone. Um, you sounded very happy the way, like, I, 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 I sensed a subtle change in your voice when you said catch tag very like almost perfectly and you're like <laughs> sort of very proud of yourself <laughs> uh oh dear yeah i mean it, it, it's more of a like hesitation of um am i gonna say this right <laughs> and then when you nailed it you're like yes that the little, i could hear that little bounce in your voice <laughs> yeah a slight sense of smugness and having achieved it <laughs> yes exactly uh, yeah, <laughs> but we'll see how that plays out going forward. But I mean, I mean it, how many I chapters it's... are there, like in the in the in this part, um, like twenty something? A few, yeah. <laughs> so you'll have you'll have quite a lot of practice to um, pronounce this. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I mean I, I had the audiobook to tell me how it's kind of pronounced. At least I mean I'm, I'm assuming whatever it is that the audiobook reader said is 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 canon on pronunciation. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but it's interesting. It's a uh, we are in the new part uh, finally. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Interesting, and as as you said, you know, we are on the not yet on the ship, but maybe soon. Um, well, I mean, we can't, we're on the um, the low entity, right? We're, yeah. Well, uh, and then we have uh, some interactions with one of the um, what is it? The uh, kind of shuttle, the little shuttle, shuttle entities. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, uh, a male um relation of some kind and i'm not really sure how that how the ships work in that regard but yeah yeah it's 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 mm. a weird thing right concept because um it just reminds me of like when the first very first episode when we were recording not first episode mm. maybe there was one of the do you remember those little uh on the ship those little entities that were like may, uh, allowing the onkali to travel like those little discs that were basically mm -hmm. releasing slime underneath and we were like hypothesizing about the uh, superconductivity and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah. Uh, it's just it, it, to be honest like each time i think about the ship it's still it's a mechanical thing it's not an or organism like they still keep saying this it's actually a massive organism living in sim symbiosis with don kali but like it's it's still such a weird concept yeah it's, it's a difficult thing to picture as well because we never really got like a um we never saw like an outside view of the ship, right? We we saw yeah. lots of stuff inside it, yeah. And we get the impression that it's biological, and it has these kind of like tree-like structures in it, and it had this whole, you know, jungle biome thing. And there was that like weird tube where you kind of went through an elevator in a giant gas bubble to visit like the observatory. Yeah. Giant fire bubble. No... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there was no like, uh, what's the shape of the thing, right? So we don't have a straightforward. Yeah thing to picture well i mean presumably it it's like a vaguely spherical yeah, or slightly yeah. elongated ellipsoid or something but no well it says here in the one of the chapters that we'll cover today is that actually one of the ships when it's in this in the air it's it's spherical so i assume it's the hmm. same for the main ship entity but like still like it's it's still there's a lot of questions that have not been answered yet 
and it's mm. interesting i think that this chapter starts they finally sort of start explaining what the ship actually is yeah there's a couple of interesting revelations about little details about that kind of thing in in here which is always fun yep uh, oh. so uh, uh that said shall we shall we get to those and uh, yeah, talk absolutely. about your, your prediction for this chapter so yeah my chapter one prediction um i thought because I already can, after that many episodes, you know, reading Octavia Butler, if I didn't guess it by now, there has to be some time skip at this point. And mm -hmm. I saw, thought there's going to be some time passing. And, you know, definitely Akin will be older. I didn't know how much older we're going to talk about here. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought maybe already on the ship, trying to learn about Don Kali and trying to convince them about the human actor. But I sort of got ahead of myself in here. A little bit, but like the, the it, it seems like the kind of broad strokes of that for for this part were probably going to play out, right? We yeah. got we got our time skip, um, and it seems like Akin is is planning to do his his uh, pitch for the human act yeah. guy, but is is not uh, not and, yet there. And the some time passes is actually seventeen years, in fact, because yeah. when the uh, previous part finished, Akin was three, and now he's twenty, so. Yeah, so quite a big time jump. Yeah, it's a really you know mm. substantial time jump, and that the fact that nothing really happened in between, so um, it's surprising, I would say. Hmm. Although I suppose we don't necessarily know no, what what happened, um, yeah. what happened in between and whether or not that will come back. Because a few times when, um, like for example, when uh, we had the time jump in the the first book of about a year, when Lilith was living with. Uh, the Owen Carly and and before she was in the like the the um, training room yeah. where she was you know uh, waking up the humans you know her whole kind of relationship with um with Chidaya and and uh, Nikanj and um the rest of them evolved like that whole kind of yeah. family unit uh, yeah uh, with Nikanj and other two mates that that you know, became a thing where she sort of became somewhat accepting of, of some degree of intimacy with the Owen Carly. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, we only kind of got like dropped back in uh, to how she reacted to stuff subsequently. So I suppose we might have a similar uh, similar pattern here where the experiences that have occurred to, to Tino off screen have some implications for his behavior. <laughs> well, yes, yes. Yeah. We do have some... Um... We'll have something about this now. So shall we go into the chapter mm. then? Yeah, yeah. Right then. So the chapter one uh, starts with Dichan and Tino talking about Akin. Um, or rather, Dichan trying to talk about Akin's wandering around. And here, cue in the Wanderer by Dion uh, song. <laughs> for all those who played Fallout 4 will know the song. For those not listen to it, it's pretty good. Um, <laughs> although it's, you know, Akin's wandering around, but although in Dichin's opinion it's too early for him, um, he seems to not to understand that Akin may be going through a human version of puberty or early adulthood. And as Tino's telling him, you know, the boy is trying to be independent, you know, show off and meet girls. Um, but mm -hmm. in Dichan's opinion, the 20-year-old Akin is more of like a 12-year-old in human terms. Um, I don't know, like... Hmm. It sounds like I mean, a you know when kids some kids are more uh, adult like than uh, what they can be showing off and still. 
Yeah, I, mean, it, I think it's it's kind of a complicated mix here, right? Because you've got the the human and the Oankali developments like schedules, as it were, mixed in. So there's a yeah a, a contradictory set of. Uh, it's, it's uh, I can imagine the biology like you know imagine us humans you know we go through puberty between age of like twelve to you know what sixteen seventeen mm-hmm. and maybe eighteen in some cases um, mm-hmm. and then imagine like our lifespan suddenly prolongs itself because we've mixed with an alien that has completely different biology and also those like cycles. I feel like the mess that it would create in the hormonal mess in the in the young um, oncology constructs is quite substantial, I would say. Because one, they go through metamorphosis, yeah. then they have to go through puberty, then they go through metamorphosis again. So, mm. and the thing is, during the second metamorphosis of the oncology, they're starting to be get interested in the you know male, female, or the uloi parts, right? You know, just the whole sexuality mm. and you know making family and stuff like that. Whereas mm. the in humans, you get that when you're twelve. <laughs> That's when you the puberty hits you, and you're like suddenly you realize, you know, you like girls or boys or both, and then you're like, oh, mm. Mm, well then, uh, so what's gonna happen is it gonna be even further emphasized. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one because it seems like the it seems almost like the uh, Carly kind of let the human development get most of the way through, but without permitting the fertility bit to actually uh, come to fruition. And yeah. then there's like the the next couple of Oankali metamorphoses or whatever the, the phase is. I'm not sure how, because I think the, there are two, but I'm not yes. sure at which point the first one happens or if it's if that's already happened. And, and now the, uh, uh, I, I forget which, which of the metamorphoses Akin is... Uh, so um, I think going to be experiencing next. It's the know. second one with the whole family thing that, like you know, like the mm. Nikanj was undergoing through with the with Ahja and Dichan and Lilith. I th- that's the mm. second metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. So Akin is also will be looking for a male and uh, sorry female and Uloi counterpart, mm. and I wonder if they're gonna also include humans in this as well, or is it just gonna be pure construct? Um, I I don't know because I mean it it seems like there's still the constructs are kind of a bit like the the human pairing where you end up with kind of five almost right where you've got yeah. the um, the human and the Oankali males and females and then the Uloi but uh, I don't know how like to what degree that uh, continues uh, mm. for how long how many generations as it were of, mm-hmm. of construct crossing yeah you continue in the kind of pattern of five as opposed to the pattern of three um we don't know we don't know but mm. yeah it's I, I feel like it's a crazy mess of um mix and probably hard for the kids to go through themselves and and even harder for the parents to de- decipher i mean it's already hard for mm. our parents to decipher what the hell is going through our minds when we're going through puberty, I can't imagine in here in this case. Yeah, but now there's like two entirely different understandings of, of what happens to you yeah. as you uh, go through the maturation process, right? There's the Oankali things and then there's the human, human things. things and the, the Oankali parents kind of expect it to follow the Oankali pattern and the human parents so like, expect well, it to actually, follow the human yeah. pattern. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's like, yeah, it's crazy. Mm. Um, 
chapter goes on, like, you know, it says that the Tino, whenever they had this conversation, Tino counters through that Akin doesn't look like a child, even though he's small, but even Akin himself doesn't feel like a child. And whether he's mm. fertile or not, he's interested in girls and then don't mind it. And as Nikanch calls it, he's going through a quasi-human sexuality phase. So mm. it's, it's, you know, it's something that it's a mix of two bags and you never know what you're gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> Hmm. Yeah, that sounds um, like a, a bit of a rough experience. <laughs> Pretty much, like those yeah. those first constructs, you know, kids that have to go through without anybody knowing what's going on, really. Hmm. And yeah. you kind of re- even pinpoint on things like, oh, you know, uh, this is gonna happen because of this, because you can't even really tell. Because at this point, it depends on like how much part of human does the construct child has, and how much of onkali. Mm. Some may have more, some may have less of each other parts, or may equal. And each time, it's going mm. to be different. Yep. Sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. Um, Dichen, though, asks Tino if Akin isn't going to resist it, which startles and angers Tino. Tino tells him that he will not stop and shouldn't because they know him and and won't harm him, opposite to what what Dichan thinks. Tino believes that Akin is learning from Dan the fact that he had to learn to fight because some of thought that his small stature was enough, uh, was an indication of him being weak. So, you know, he had to show off. And especially, mm. I can imagine then picking up Akin being a small kid, being small, when yeah. he has the strength that you no know, Lilith was given from Don Kali. I mean, like, uh, I wouldn't yeah, want to be punched. By yeah, <laughs> this is not going to go terribly well. But yeah, I, it, it fits with the kind of you know the typical human pattern of yeah. you know, some some bigger kids trying to pick on the smaller one. But then, uh, uh, yeah, it turns out that's. Um, and then Akin goes Hulk and just crushes them. Um, <laughs> Tino then asks Tichan if Akin has learned anything about the Onkali, to which he says no. So the same goes for humans. He's still learning to. Le- he's still trying to learn more, even though Tichan thinks that resistors are not complex except biologically. Oof! What a diss. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um. I think you may be underestimating some of what's going on there. Yeah. <laughs> Tino tells him that they still they are still resisting even though they're not complex. No, they would rather die than mm. come here and live easy, pain-free lives with you. Dichan then asks him like, if Tino's life is pain-free while trying to touch him, but Tino immediately moves away. Mm. He, he can't understand it. Like, And this is the exit from book. He had finally gone for Lilith, to Lilith for help in understanding this. You're one of his mates, she said she had told him solemnly. Believe me, Chan, he never expected to have a male mate. Nikanj was difficult enough for him to get used to. And Dichan didn't mm-hmm. think so. He thought that Tino was okay with Nikanj, and for some reason, after long, unforgettable group matings, Tino would avoid him. Yet the Lilith wouldn't avoid Achtjes. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, a, an interesting one. Like, long, I, I, I... unforgettable group matings. <laughs> I love that description. Yeah. Uh, it uh, leaves um, plenty unsaid, right? Yes. <laughs> that little <laughs> taste in your tongue is just like... Dichan, dichan. No. You little scoundrel. The, uh, <laughs> I think this is kind of an interesting... Um, 
it's another one of these points in in the book where it feels like there's like, what the kind of the ongoing themes that I think like pervades a lot of uh, this series is kind of the sort of nature nurture yeah um, debate right there's a lot uh, or uh, but also you know the interaction of nature and nurture and how they they like play together to shape what you actually end up being and mm-hmm. um, which I think and it's a really interesting discussion it was kind of a um, you know a hot button issue in the era around when this was written although i think some of like the the sophistication of the the discussion of it in um octavia's work kind of preempts a lot of the um so for example like um one of the landmarks in this kind of intellectual history of discussion of the the nature nurture thing was uh stephen pinker's the blank slate Mm -hmm. um and that was uh, what was that two thousand two I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's fifteen years after the first of these books was published. Yeah. Um, so yeah, as usual, a little bit uh, ahead of the curve on on the the way that the Octavia does commentary. Uh, but uh, I think one of the things that she she does well with it is she kind of doesn't pick a side too yes. much, right? She she actually emphasizes kind of the emphasizes the the nature via nurture or or the the interaction of environmental and biological factors. Uh, it, it's it's a much more kind of um, sophisticated mm. understanding of uh, how biological factors are, are manifest, right? It's yeah. not biological determinism. It's predisposition that is plastic to environmental influences yeah. right? the specifics of the environment can change the and interact with what your uh, biological leanings might be and, and mm-hmm. even shift them right there's a there's a so some degree of causal feedback loop there and that i think shows in, in a lot of the uh, the ways that she explores these topics no absolutely absolutely and i think for concerning the fact that you know um, at the time the books came out, I can imagine the, the still the whole idea of um, same-sex relationships. And although it was 1980-something, right? 87. Yeah, so, I mean, it was still... A, yeah. it, and, it was, and she was in California, so it's a little yeah. bit more... Uh, left-leaning in, in some ways but also plenty of uh plenty of uh, strongly religious groups and you know, she had a religious upbringing so yeah. there's a, you know, a, lot, a lot of different tensions in there and i think that's one of the tensions that's that's in this point right you have yeah. tina who's kind of uncomfortable with this sort of same sex aspect of his relationship with dishan but it's uh you know he had also a kind of religious upbringing right we, we don't we hear know much about of, what it is yeah but we know that because mm-hmm. phoenix had you know the whole idea of previous part talking about the you know hmm. the cross and the phoenix and the fact that you no know, there is a church uh, we are told i think if i remember correctly in phoenix yeah and they were trying to write down the whole what, bible what they could recall from the bible yeah. and, and you know yeah so we don't get much explicit indication of what their um position on homosexuality is but generally speaking religion doesn't have a great track record in that regard no <laughs> well yeah <laughs> Um, but yes, I, 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 it's, it's, it's probably the whole, in terms of like, um, it's also probably the fact of the sexuality, right? It's, it's the fact that, you know, mm. that the Onkali are labeled as male. And I think it will, mm. although it might not be the same aspect as the same male version as we are thinking of, right? Because Nikanj or Chitaya, I think in book one said it's like a version of, um, it's like a version of male and female, but not exactly. And um, so I don't think we can even compare it as 
being as it is well i mean the, if, if if you get back to the like the biological fundamentals right it's you know the the males have the small gametes and the females have the big gametes um well yes yes that's what i mean but like that in biology yes but then you know it's it's not in the same aspect as we are as well i mean yeah i mean i just does you know pop out the kid from uh, uh, from a pre no not pre-made but on the ta- on the spot made uh, hall but um mm-hmm. still like you, i don't think you can think of them in the same aspect because they also have an ally like it's that's the thing right there's a third yeah, party yeah. involved so mm-hmm. yeah i mean that, that it, it's definitely complicated <laughs> in that regard yeah no although that, that's like the the cultural aspect of it but one of the 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 biological things that might be um like underpinning the the difference between the way that uh lilith is reacting to um Dahajus versus how um tishan and, and tino are reacting mm-hmm. is that um like bisexuality is slightly more prevalent in females than males so i think if i'm remembering the stats correct it's 93 percent of males in kind of like global averages of surveys are heterosexual and uh, exclusively and 87 percent of females and then about 10 percent of females are um kind of on the like uh two to three in the kinsey scale type region so they're like incidentally homosexual and with only about one percent of females being uh four on on the kinsey scale so the, the kinsey scale by the way to put that in context like zero on the uh, no so one on the kinsey scale is completely heterosexual seven is completely homosexual four is like no strong preference and then there's like two levels of preference on either side right uh, okay and then so the um uh and then in, in males, it's a bit different. So then it's, I think it's uh, 4% in the kind of 2 to 3 on the Kinsey scale mm-hmm. and 0.5 on the uh, 4-ish region. So that, uh, no, there's, a, there's a bit of a skew right. towards uh, females being slightly more uh, predisposed uh, to uh, be an incidental uh, and even incidental uh, more equal. yeah that's that's the word they use oh, okay. <laughs> In- okay i was going to say cause incidental like i yeah. mean oh i accidentally you know ended up you know making out of this girl as like that's not an incident <laughs> that's just you know but th- it's an interesting question do they explore why uh in particular is there like uh biological um, I- behi- reasoning behind it I don't know if we know that. I mean, I was thinking about it a little bit, and I came up with something that might be an okay evolutionary psych kind of just so story, but it is just a you know it's very much an untested hypothesis. So I don't know if it's can I before actually you, underpinning. Can it. I guess? Mm-hmm. Can I guess before you go on? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, I feel it's because of the survival of like upbringing as well, because if you have children. Mm-hmm. Um, and for example, you know, males go hunting evolutionary, right? And they're just gone mm-hmm. or something happens. There's a higher survival chance if you are together with someone of the same sex, like women to being together and then forming sort of family unit in a way. That's my thought. Yeah, I think that's definitely one component of it, right? So in situations where um, you have a higher probability of having like um, 
a, a smaller number of males with a, with a large number of females, right? So it might be the males die, or it might be you have a situation where you have like a harem type scenario where you've got a, a, a male with a lot of resources mm-hmm. in some societal structures, right? Either of those situations has a a, a slight uh, like asymmetry favoring the uh, formation of like collaborative relationships with between females to raise offspring Mm -hmm. but one of the things that i think contributes to the asymmetry is um maternal certainty and paternal uncertainty right Right. so it's easier for women to collaborate in raising offspring because they know which offspring is theirs so they can like uh, make sure that the resources they get from the collaboration go to their offspring but men have a harder time organizing into those kind of collaborative groups because they don't have paternal certainty right yes Um, i see what you mean yeah so there's there's a few contributing factors to that but i think there's a there's a a reasonable case that that might be an evolutionary game theoretic underpinning of of why that's a slight bias Um, interesting need to run some simulations (laughs) (laughs) simulations um I was also thinking about maybe the hormone hormones uh, associated, you know, like with the whole. Um, but that would be, uh, I think, a very very long shot, and mm-hmm. maybe not really relevant here. And I was just thinking because mm. testosterone makes us more aggressive, competitive, right? And estrogen makes us well more of uh mm. it's but it has some I mean, influence not necessarily. has some influence though and i'm just thinking that maybe that that um also has something to do with uh i'm talking out of my ass right now so but i think yeah so most of that's kind of upstream of the behavioral yeah. influences though right it's the you have the the cues that follow from the hormones I and mean, one of the things that i think might play a role is the concept of um mate insurance um so it's quite common for um, humans to kind of cultivate like a, a, a secondary relationship. So if something goes wrong with the first one, then they can kind of swap to the the second. Right. Um, and there's some indication that uh, it's anti-correlated with depression if you have good viable secondary candidates, uh, as it were, for a primary relationship. Uh, so that might make sense also in in the um, the uh, context of females having uh, like a slight skew towards bisexuality because maybe the they can use other females as mate insurance in situations where they might have a, a, a lack of males hmm. yeah interesting but anyway going back to um the i think this idea is that yeah i, I guess there's a lot of um complex issues and upbring uh upbring um of tino that resulted in him not being really um happy after the long unforgettable group matings <laughs> yeah and we don't know uh, to what degree that's a biological or a cultural thing and i think that's deliberate yeah <laughs> long unforgettable group matings i mean like if we were calling our uh episodes anything on youtube or anywhere i think that should be the title of it long unforgettable group mating <laughs> Uh, I don't know, man. We might have to move to a different platform <laughs> if we start doing that. Uh, to be fair, Pornhub has a really good st- <laughs> services, so who knows? Anyway, jokes aside, uh, let's continue. OnlyFans. <laughs> yep, sign up to our OnlyFans. Uh... Oh, God. Right. Um, here's an excerpt from a book. Um, 
Dishan got up from his platform, left his salad and went to Tino. The man started to draw back, but Dishan took his arms. Let me try to understand you, Chika. How many children have we had together? Be still. They had six children together. Three with Ajas and three with Lilith. Yeah, which um, they refer to in the text as the old pattern. I'm a little unsure exactly what that, that means. It's kind of a subtly dropped hint at something. It sounds like as if, you know, the equivalent of like the Onkali children and the human children, like to keep the balance, perfectly balanced mm-hmm. as all things should be. That could probably be it, actually, yeah. And um, so Tina allowed him to touch himself and then conversation continued. Tijan asked Tina, why does it hurt him to stay here? And he gets, you know, Tina tells him that what he, we have been discussing for a long, what we have been discussing, he's a traitor to the humanity. Someday the people, as we, we know, will cease to exist. And he is, was one of those people who helped it happen. As, as he told Dichan that his stomach started to hurt alongside with his head. It seemed that the damage uh, he received has caused a sporadic uh, pain, uh, which would cause, you know, um, Tino to isolate himself from others. As Dichan saw that Tino was about to suffer, he called Nikanj through the law entity. In the meantime, he asked Tino if Lilith feels the same, and Tino responded to that at the first. At first, um, yeah, but she knows now that there are no resistors that are not already parents to construct children. The difference is whether they decided to act as parents. Um, and Tino believes that they didn't help, and that's what counts. But Tino wanted children and wanted to feel how Nikanj makes him feel. The long unforgettable girl. That's interesting. That's how he wants to. (laughs) Sorry, I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm gonna stop. (laughs) You're gonna keep coming back to that one. (laughs) It's still on my. It's still on my screen. So I'm like, yeah, it's it's still gonna come Mm -hmm, back. mm -hmm. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting with um, because we're not hearing this like directly from Lilith. We're hearing kind of what uh, what Nakanj thinks Lilith thinks. Uh, But it is. It's interesting to to uh, see what the kind of uh, justification that they yeah uh, like offering for i mean to uh, be f- all the- to mm-hmm. be fair like we are we were told that they have collected the genomic genomic sequence from all of the humans right so mm-hmm. whether the humans are part of the families or not they will use that genomic sequence to to you know the oil will brew up some kids using that genomic sequence to make sure that there is not enough genetic diversity Mm-hmm. So I see Tino's yep. point about, you know, like, it doesn't matter if they're like, it's the same thing, like, you know, if um, it's the same, I would say, aspect is like when people give children to adoption or like, because for whatever reasons, and like, you know, they, they technically know, you know, and then the kids get adopted, you know, technically their step parents are their parents, you know, but like, in the case here is like, they the original with the biological parents are not getting involved and that's what counts you know of like against the whole betrayal of humanity right it's doesn't matter for them uh, yeah i mean i suppose the 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 resistors kind of whole uh intention with not engaging with the oankali was to like to to not um mix the humans with the Owen Carly, right? So this the like the fact that they've actually uh, already got all their genetics and are already using it is just kind of increasing the like the futility of the resistance yeah. kind of position, right? But it's very much against what they were 
intending to do by resisting in the first place yeah. so they are at this point you know cl- clinging to the to the uh like refusal to participate in raising the kids as, as their only remaining uh mode of protest pretty much at uh at, at being integrated with with the yeah. Owen Carly. Yeah, so it's at this point, like it's literally. I mean, we were talking about this, and we were saying this. This is a futile, um, I don't know, like escape, or uh, it's a futile way of doing this, right? It's mm-hmm. you can't really do anything. Um, it just for me is like, yeah, the 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 resistors keep like. Uh, we'll get to this in a second, actually, and I'll point this out. So. Dichan moved to Tino's foot off the platform and told him to lie down. Here's an excerpt from the book. Tino only looked at him. Dichan rustled his body tentacles uncomfortably. Nikant says you prefer to endure your pain. It says uh, you need to make yourself suffer so that you can feel your people are avenged and you've been pay- you've paid your debt to them. That's shit. And that's what Tino said. And as they were having conversation, mm-hmm. Nikant arrived. Dichan tells him that Tino is insisting on hurting himself and maybe he wants Akin to hurt himself. But Tino tells him that Akin does what he wants and understands what Tino feels better than both of them. Nikanj tells him, though, that he's not part of his body, but he's part of his thoughts and he has influence over him. You've done more than Lilith would make to make him feel that while the resist had been wronged and betrayed. Um, hmm. And so, uh, actually, maybe we've skipped that part maybe earlier about um, um, weapons. Uh, but basically... The idea is that the resistors have been producing more and more effective weapons, right? Because each time yeah, they yeah. on Kali go, they they take the weapons away from them, but they make the more efficient ones. And hmm. um, ah, sorry, it's towards towards the end of the chapter, but it's fine. We'll go. We'll get there anyway. And for me, it's mm-hmm. like if you have the if you have some people that could be scientists, right? I would do anything trying to like tr- understand what is the reason behind the block of the fertility. I mean, if you, if, I mean, I know we've had this discussion many times, mm-hmm. and how many, how many sort of intermediate steps and hurdles that are necessary to do this. But it's mm. been now more than thirty years since the book started. Around 30 years, yeah. so I mean, it's, it's, like that. Yeah. it's quite a substantial time for it to like, um, the, the, the you know the manufacturing to kick in and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I mean, the, the you, you're you're bootstrapping from from nothing. Yes, right? yes, yes, absolutely. It's you know you're going from subsistence to. But in the meantime, yeah, I mean, I, I I can see how they would like iterate a little bit on basic firearms design if they have like prior knowledge of some of that. No, 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 absolutely. But I'm thinking yeah, is that like yeah. 30 or more years, in fact, because we're, this book starts, but we all like, if you really mm. wanted to do a change, like really have, make a change, you wouldn't make villages. You would comp- try to combine everyone into massive, big, massive nation and try p- pushing into a manufacturing, like, and start trying to understand mm. and put into research and stuff like that. Because at this point, like the whole complaining like I understand that things take time and they are starting from zero, but at this point, it's very um, 
Yeah, yeah. But I, I think it's the the usual kind of collective action problem yeah. type scenario, right? You've got all these disparate groups from different human cultures that before the war were presumably at war to some degree, yeah. <laughs> and you know they all speak different languages. They've all been kind of seeded in different parts of this forest. They've come out from the Orankali in their own little groups. So yeah, it's, like having them pull together is a, a challenge. Yeah, it would be a very massive challenge. You'd have to have really people who, modified by Donkali, able to remember everything and learn all the languages and basically act as a, in a way, tra- initially translators and co- like connecting pieces to help them understand. Yep, but then anyone who had done that would have been treated with suspicion for having gotten too close to the Onkali. <laughs> well, yes, that's the other thing. But honestly, if, at this mm. point, you either you know start pushing forward towards this, or you'll be just in perpetual cycle of self hate and basically having no hope. Hmm. Yep. Yep. And it is kind of interesting there hasn't been more kind of. Um... Uh, like leadership figures in the resistance emerging. To be fair, like yeah, I would expect more. Like, I would expect mm. somebody to really trying to, um, because I've been saying about like the whole civil war. I was expecting some like a radical <laughs> raising up and trying to unify the whole, you know, remaining of humanity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was just, I just thought that at this point, like, you know, the whole idea. Of them making weapons and stuff like that, and but yeah. Anyway, so mm. Nikanj then notices that Tino is working on another ulcer. It tells Tino that it knows that Tino wants to die and live in the same time. The fact that he loves his children, and his parents, generates a conflict in him. It knows that he loves them as well, but he thinks he shouldn't. Nikanj then notices that Akin told them about one of the men who died of an ulcer when he was first kidnapped. The fact that the man's ulcer was known to the his alloy, but the man refused to be treated. Nikanj then puts Tino to sleep and proceeds to ask Dichan what he asked Tino that caused to a flare-up, to which Dichan tells him mm. that he asked him about the Akin's disappearances. Ah, you should have asked Lilith. I thought Tino would know. He does, and it disturbs him very much. He thinks that Akin is more loyal to humanity than Tino himself. He doesn't understand why Akin is so focus- focused on the resistors. Dichan didn't realize mm. how focused Akin was. Even though he had the same people deprived him from their sibling bonding, Akin will try to save them. Although he cannot think of a way how he would go about doing it. Nikanj hopes that maybe he will stop being occupied with it once he undergoes the metamorphosis, but according to Dichan, it must be more to it than that. Nikanj then tells Dichan that humans are full of contradiction even though human bodies aren't just human cells. There are a great number of bacteria living in us in a symbiotic behavior, trying to protect us. Humans couldn't survive without them, but even though those relationships frightened them. But Dichan tells him that the Onkali are not like mitochondria or bacteria and the humans know it. They shouldn't lie to humans. Maybe it would, and maybe it'd be better not to say anything. Um, hmm. That's an interesting, uh, interesting set of stuff there. The whole uh, relationship with Tino being concerned that uh, Akin is like adhering more to kind of the principles of the resistors than than he is. Yeah, uh, and you know, having these almost like psychosomatic symptoms from the contradictions that uh, he's enduring. 
And the thing is, one thing I don't understand here in this the last sort of um, interaction is that you know that he the Chan tells the uh, tells him that Donkai are not like mitochondrial bacteria, and the humans know obviously they're not. Um, although Nikachi mm. thinks it's like um, the opposite, they shouldn't lie to humans. Maybe it'd be better not to say anything. And I'm not sure what Dichan is referring here to. Like, is he talking about the creation of the ship and eating all of the biomass on the Earth? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, this is a this is a particularly interesting uh, revelation, right? Because we we kind of uh, we get this there's this one line in there: one Oankali organism within each cell, dividing with each cell, extending life and resisting disease. So it seems like there is an, an Oankali organelle, right? A little endosymbiont or endoparasite, depending on your perspective. Yeah. Uh, that the that like interacting with the Oankali means you end up with one of these in, in your cells, right? There's a little Oankali infection, pretty much, uh, as it were, that uh, follows you around. So that, that's uh, you know, a new bit of biological information, right? We hadn't really... Uh, heard that before yeah it's 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 really um it's strange isn't it because when you think about it right so we have the male female and uloi onkali right but we also know mm -hmm. there's these versions of the onkali that are male or female who knows that like take care of the ship that they have like completely different shape than that they are responsible mm -hmm. for maintaining the ship then we know there's the ship itself that has apparently some sex um mm -hmm. and then then we know that the later on we're told about the shuttle that it's a male and it's like mm -hmm. so it feels to me that the concept here is that the onkali are not what they seem to us like you know we the, the humans in the book call them male female or whatever but the fact is that it's more than that it's 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 a collective sort of organism i would say that um has, just takes different forms hmm. I mean, it seems like the kind of uh the essence of the oankali in some sense is this organelle yeah. right this this uh this, there has uh, to be something connecting all of those you know hmm. concepts and organisms hmm. but it's kind of uh like steered by the uh the the uloi who have some kind of high level uh, control yeah. and what sorts of things the these organelles can be set off to do, um, but yeah, it's like a, a, a kind of um, a kind of nanotechnology, a kind of bio nanotechnology, where they have this little you know ability to put these kind of Oankali uh, organelle payloads in yeah. people and have them change as a result. It feels to me though like it's yeah, it's it has to be some unification between because like, it's there's so many concepts. Uh, with Don Kali and the, all different organs connect, there has to be some unification, and it seems to be that 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 the whole mm. whatever it is in Don Kali, whether it's some sort of organelle or whatever else, is just what the real original Don Kali is, and probably we'll mm. hear more about it in the next chapters. And it seems that whatever systems are associated with this are what kind of facilitates the the gene flow between yeah. all these different um, like morphs, as it were, of the Oankali species, sort of, or, or like relatives yeah. of the Oankali species that are uh, kind of their own lineage, but also you know have have some some shared characteristics. But it, I suspect that they all have this uh, 
Owen Carly organelle in there uh, and a, as a as a like a common interface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. yeah so that's a yeah, a, a fairly uh, major like revelation about the, the way that the Owen Carly biology works. Basically, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, Nikanj tells him that if they say nothing, humans assume the worst, which is very true, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. The topic then drifts onto Tino and uh, if Nikanj could help him. But it tells Tichan that no, but it'll take care of him. Um, also, he can't stop him from hurting himself unless uh, it removes his memories. But Nikanj won't do it because it values Tino too much as a being. Um, the chapter ends with Dichan saying that he will separate Akin from the resistors. He fears that the humans will kill him sooner or later because no matter how many times they confiscate the weapons, the humans make a new set more efficient and better. That's what I was talking about earlier. He will take the mm-hmm. he will take Akin to the main ship to let him learn about the Onkali side. Dichan could sense that Nikanj will feel lonely because Akin always brings him something from his travels and is the closest of what an Uloi child would be. So he promises that he, Nikanj that he will take him only for a year, and that's where the chapter ends. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting little um, variant on like paternal uh, feelings relating to the the way that Akin's going out and collecting stuff for for Nikanj. Right? It has this kind of you know, it's it's a very like alien biological activity, but it has this kind of like feeling that you know, like N- Nakanj is going to get empty nest syndrome yeah. when he uh, absolutely uh, when he's no longer getting that exchange. Yeah, or it's rather. it's interesting because like um, in the book it says that you know they spend sometimes hours exchanging information, all the things that Nikanj collected on his travels and on his wanderings and uh, with Nikanj and it gives Nikanj a massive pleasure to to do this with Akin so yeah it feels for Nikanj that it's uh, um, too early I just realized mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. I understand why they haven't created an Uloi construct okay because the Uloi construct would reverse the pro the um, the the fertility issue in humans. Imagine an Uloi construct that goes into what does what Akin did, like what goes mm-hmm. be gets kidnapped and taught by the humans, and then understand the whole idea that the humans need uh, you know be able to you know have their own children. The Uloi construct would yeah. be able to do that because ha- the Uloi's have the mm-hmm. ability to. That's why they haven't created it. Ah. The Ula constructs would have like they're, they're kind of you know they're afraid of them yes. because they have the most power to to change things. So if they have an Ula construct, then it might do something that they don't want. Exactly. Uh, they don't want it to do. Exactly. Mm. Now I understand. <laughs> Golem, Golem, coach, Golem. <laughs> I know. I, Returning a little bit to what we were talking yes, about before in, in this whole thing, like it seems like they're not, um, was it Deshaun's kind of referring to something that they're not telling the humans yeah. and this whole, uh, like, are they a symbiotic relationship or, or something else? Definitely not a symbiotic relationship, no matter what no. Nikanj thinks. <laughs> yeah, so Nikanj's perspective on it was like uh, as much of a symbiotic relationship as humans was originally with, or, or like uh, I suppose eukaryotes were originally with with the mitochondria or like proto eukaryotes. Uh, so I mean, it, it it seems likely that there was at least at some point a kind of parasitic 
yeah relationship between the uh like the host cell and the um the mitochondria that like evolved into a more mutualistic yeah. one uh we, we see that with um endoparasitic organisms today right i mean um so uh, chlamydia for example is uh, an an endoparasite right? it goes in it, it grows and multiplies inside your cells not merely like around them uh, you know, eventually we kind of like co-opted somehow you know there was a, a a positive sum game that could be played between the mitochondrial precursor and the eukaryotic cell precursor basically richard just compared onkai to chlamydia nice <laughs> i'm joking i'm joking <laughs> but yes absolutely yeah, yeah. um uh, but the thing is in a lot of diseases plus viruses for example do that right do this right some mm. of them attack specific um um cells and then stay in them forever um you know there are some cases i don't want to say at the top of my head right now because i know i'll be wrong but i'm aware of there are some diseases that basically once you get them they stay forever with you because um yeah, it's a was it an endoretrovirus yes. ones that end up splicing themselves into your own yeah. genome. So, and to be honest, this is uh, true because, for for example, transposons are basically a remnant mm-hmm. of such viruses that are within our genome. But most cases, they are usually um, um, silenced by either uh, epigenetics, like modifica- epigenetic modifications, or specific cell uh, specific protein cycles, uh, enzyme cycles, for example, like pyRNAs uh on ping pong but stuff like that you know is within our cells but i don't know give a little bit of context on that so like uh, transposons or transposable elements or retro transposons that whole class of thing they're, they're like repetitive pieces of dna sequence that occur at multiple copies uh in our genome yes. and and they have a propensity to jump around right so they, they make copies of themselves and end up uh, elsewhere in the genome. yeah and uh, sometimes perically referred to as jumping genes you can imagine how problematic that is because you know if the transposon copy and paste itself somewhere that's not really used by our genome that's fine but if it copies itself somewhere in between a very crucial gene that that will lead to a cell death and basically death of the organism so that's the reason why Mm. we have those systems to silence them um but yeah they are basically remnants of but we also have uh situations where the elements that were originally in one of these transposons or the, the kind of might have had an, an origin in, a, in a, a viral element has some regulatory function which ends up being co-opted and used in our normal course of regulation right so the promoter from a gene that was originally in a virus might end up being the promoter of a gene that we now use for other stuff, right? Or, or an enhancer or you know, some other regulatory so, uh, element that controls its expression. When you think about it, Richard, right? Mm-hmm. What knowledge do Onkali have to understand all of this? Like, imagine, like, you know, we're studying, you know, our evolution, evolutionary, you know, um, development and, you know, genome, we're using genome sequencing. And we are sort of starting mm-hmm. to understand all of these concepts, you know, and then a, a being like a, Onkali comes over and is like after a few years of like underst- trying to understand the genome it's just like yeah that's that's you know that's what it is and I just don't know I can't wrap my head around this still 
I mean, it feels like they just have much better. I mean, for starters, much better like instrumentation, right? They, they have almost like a, a direct perceptual ability to kind of see what's going on in genomes. Uh, and then there's also the, um, like they, they have experience at this, right? They're, they're like experienced genetic engineers. So they, they have this sort of, uh, you know, fairly deep, extensive cultural yeah. knowledge of how the sorts of things that act in gene regulatory networks function, right? They have a, a presumably some richly developed understanding of the sorts of uh, like uh, regulatory networks that exist in biological systems can be manipulated mm -hmm. which we don't really have very well developed yet <laughs> yeah but it just it just really blows my mind that you know that, that there's they have this ability to do it when we have still struggled to understand mm. some things like only for example recently like we thought about uh, that you know whatever the mrnas that are not used they just get degraded and you know ciao ciao Whereas in reality, some mm. of them actually are reused for regulation stuff, and you know, microRNAs are called microRNAs, and it just each time, obviously, the organism, our bodies will reuse things because just wasting some, like not use, reusing stuff, is wasteful and waste of energy. But nonetheless, it's it's a very complex system. I just cannot understand, like, cannot imagine what processing power it does. That one Kali brain have to have to be able to like. Yeah, that is an interesting point actually, and and it, one of the things that might be a, a a challenge to the like the realism of, of of having this level of understanding of these systems is it might be the case that in some sense these complex biological networks are like computationally irreducible. Yeah, right? you you can't necessarily uh, like understand and generalize from them. Uh, without effectively just simulating them, uh, which incurs you know extensive computational uh, costs uh, to actually run them, right? Uh, I feel like they would have to we have. Don't, uh, so we have to kind of posit in this world that there are some uh, sufficient like reductions to generalized abstract rules about how uh, biological networks work unless, that there's useful insight to be gained. Unless, you know, like, imagine you have n number of Onkali, right? Of Uloi Onkali. I'm talking about mm -hmm. Uloi Onkali. And mm -hmm. one Uloi takes care of this pathway, this one against this one, and then all those, like, this sort of, like, in the collective understanding, share their knowledge, or at Actually, the other thing, right? Yeah, to having sufficient computational capability to actually just run this. So one of the things that's quite interesting there is they have, they, they could potentially just do a lot of the experiments, yeah. right? They could just make cells that have a variant on a given network and see yeah, what exactly. happens empirically, right? Uh, because they have such a high potential granularity of control over these biological systems, they can just program up a, a prototype cell and see what it exactly. does. Right. For us, that's a lot of work. For them, it might not be. Yep. Uh, so that's you know that gives them a, a, a massive edge in being able to figure out this stuff uh, just empirically. Yeah. So I was just thinking because they do have those collective meetings, it could be the case that sometimes they have the collective meetings where they do like you know connect to each other and then just do a massive like brainstorm, literally, of you know trying to uh, mm -hmm. like have a cell and then just throw stuff at it, be like you know fertilize an egg yeah, and then or just sharing their results yeah. right uh, they could have done a bunch of distributed computing and their 
pulling it together to to figure out to share what the results were you know which, which bits and you know worked. they have time i mean since earth mm. the whole war it was like 200 something years they have time to share all of that information and then understand yeah, it yeah. so it could be that they their mm. understanding is pretty deep on this aspect yeah yeah and actually it mirrors some of the stuff that's being done in in cutting edge modeling of biological networking um in the, we're not really doing it in um like actual cells but rather we're doing it as um analog computations yep. uh so taking uh one of the problems that you run into with a digital computation is you have a, a limit of resolution mm. on your uh the state that you can represent with any number right so you, if it's like 32 bits long then if something happens that affects the like the rounding error at the end of that then you might miss the effect yeah. in, in the larger network yeah. right and there, there's a lot of things in biological networks that are kind of determined by really like subtle continuous Absolutely. changes right? there's a lot of kind of uh, analog computation so one of the things you can do to get around that is model um instead of doing digital modeling have analog computers that can represent continuous signals uh sort of out beyond that level of uh, uh, precision how do you do analog computing like can you go more detail about the whole concept of it i mean i don't really know okay. that much about how exactly it i mean it, typically you end up representing your system as kind of a series of um like differential equations right, that okay, describe okay, okay. The, the relationships between systems and then that kind of gets represented effectively as like a continuous um field of some kind like an electrical signal or like an amount of, of res, uh, resistance or current or something. I, don't, I don't know what they typically use to actually mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know there's some some continuously varying value in an electrical circuit um, I mean it's like the difference between um, you know digital and analog audio no absolutely right? I understand what you um, mean it's just I just thought that yeah, yeah. Uh, what sort of hardware or whatever the ideas that there is utilized to actually do this mm. um, um I, there's some very cutting edge stuff um, from I think it's MIT. It might be I forget if it's MIT or Harvard uh, working on the equivalent of FPGAs, field programmable gate arrays, which are like um, uh, effectively digital circuits for computers. It's like programmable hardware, right? You, you can tell an FPGA what like type of uh, transistor like behavior you want a given like node in this this array to to behave like so you can effectively make your own hardware circuits for doing things like designing asics and okay. stuff for, for application specific hardware but there's a version of that for analog computing that's being worked on I see. by um what's that? there's a there's a particular it's okay i don't uh, have to like we'll in, we'll yeah. probably find later for in the comments or something um in the references hmm. um but yeah yeah, yeah, but that—that's a whole potentially quite interesting area of, uh, of research. Absolutely, but it's really interesting because now we're doing a massive historical back to the original computing, right? It was usually like you know, it was connecting transistors together and what whatsoever, and you know, to to be able to do certain um, computations. Mm -hmm. And now we are going back to it, but in this because it was uh well, obviously more uh, sophisticated way but um to be able to understand certain yeah, I mean, the, concepts the, the interesting thing about biological computation is it is hybrid yeah. right it's a hybrid of digital and analog computation right you've got digital information representation in the yeah. genome where you have you know fixed 
uh, stuff, but then you also have a lot of continuous signals with like the the uh, concentrations of various factors Absolutely. in different compartments and and these kind of like threshold effects and you know um, kind of semi-digital stuff like phosphorylation state where there's a lot of proteins where how much uh, how phosphorylated something is uh, like how many phospho groups it's got added to it determines various threshold things there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on at the level of uh, gene regulation that is non uh digital yeah. it, it, it it's it's much more uh granular there's many levels of, of sensitivity yeah i just oh yeah. i just can yeah you really have to apply this sort of modeling to to it because you can't just uh apply a very endpoint behavior like behavior to those things because there's also so many modifications and then you can have like for example um for those who don't know uh, who didn't not know much about for example um uh ubiquitin which is a pr uh, protein that's used mm. for often to like de um, send proteins for degradation you add people mm -hmm. you know there are enzymes that add ubiquitin to um to a protein and then basically that's a signaling for the protein to be degraded but fun fu but guess what not always sometimes you can use ubiquitin as a um as a means to signal something. And if you add a, for example, certain <laughs> amount of them, for example, like recently, because I'm my now current speciality is Crohn's disease, there's a pathway that actually involves, you know, like if you add that many ubiquitins to this particular uh, amino acid, it will do this thing. But if you add the other one, this uh, many different, different number of, of ubiquitin, you'll end up with different behavior. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. Yep, and and you could attach it one or two, one or a couple of different yeah, locations, and then right? you can have ubiquitin <laughs> other modifications added to ubiquitin, and then have chains of it, and then it'll also cause different behaviors. So, and the branching exactly. Patterns, so. so have fun. <laughs> it just goes yeah, on. Have now. fun trying to understand <laughs> all this nonsense. Yeah, as so I whenever I have to like talk about biology to to computer science and programming type people, I'm like, biology is the worst legacy code problem in history. Honestly, it really is, and the thing is. It's it's interesting concept because um, the current project actually we have a fella who is creating a database, and I really feel for him mm -hmm. because we're doing more of like a macro scale, so cells, tissue layers, and stuff like that. And he's mm -hmm. developing a database for for this. And and when he was first starting, I really I was sort of annoyed, but now I really feel for him because I understand that his from his perspective he was supposed to create a database and obviously databases are um structuring you know, of the of parent mm -hmm. and then because you know the sub um sec you know sub um levels and then you have things like mm -hmm. epithelial cells and you have epithelial cells everywhere <laughs> and you're like where do you put this you know you can't really you know put it uh, you can you can obviously put it at the very low level of uh, this tissue but you can also put it in a different tissue and it's like how do you make the connections like which and it's and it's still epithelial cells like so when he had struggling yeah. co grab his you know wrap his hand or, uh, head around this the concept that yeah those things will repeat and there's a lot of things that will be like oh the actually mucosal layer is actually present in several places and it's the same thing but it's not but it is <laughs> 
Yeah, you, you can't. You, you got to kind of give up on the database thing and go direct to a directed acyclic graphs. Sort of sometimes. Yeah, that helps, I, but <laughs> but I genuinely, genuinely do feel it, it's, sorry it's really for not, him not because it's the concept of the ideas that the things in biology repeat themselves. Because one, repeat, repetition of things is good for energy usage, and two, because mm. it's recycling of things, and it's just. Yeah, and we just, mm. it's just, uh, I, I can understand and how difficult concept this is. And whenever, whoever tries to, you know, do anything more moderately more complex than the very simple models, then you're basically fucked. <laughs> yeah, so d data modeling for biology is just like not fun. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, this is why the whole like um, worst legacy code problem in history thing is, you know, we only have the machine code. It wasn't written for like one consistent instruction set yeah. architecture. It encodes all of its own hardware, yeah. not to mention <laughs> whatever else of the stuff that it's doing. Plus, it's uh, it, it's it's not even um, it, it, it's not even just digital, right? It's it's a hybrid digital yeah. analog system. Um, plus, it was designed. Well, it wasn't designed, it wasn't. right? It, it was written by a literally non-sentient yeah. process, right? So it's not like the guy who wrote the code before you was an idiot. It's the guy who wrote the code before you literally wasn't even conscious. Yeah, exactly. He didn't even know what's going on, but he was still doing it. And it's still like, was bumping things together and see if it works. But the thing is, um, it's, no. it's very interesting because... If yeah. Oh, oh, and it, it's undergone a brutal optimization process with shifting goalposts for the last four yeah. billion years. Um, but the thing is, <laughs> like, for all those people who are listening, um, um, I just wanted to say that it's it's still not a when we when scientists do any type of research, right? For any of us, we've said this a few times, but I'll reiterate this here again. Whenever we look into things, we always um, look at the one variable at a time. We try to look at one variable at a time because um, anything more complex than that in any sort of experimental uh, uh, aspects makes the experience very, very complex and difficult to get your head, head wrap, you know, wrap your head around it. And so mm -hmm. we do follow up with, you know, one variable at a time to see usually time or concentration of things in cell culture or whatever. Whatever it is, it's usually one variable at a time. I do remember a paper that we, uh, back in PhD, I don't know if you were there, Richard, mm -hmm. as well, maybe you weren't, but we, it was about basically a uh, paper about looking at multiple variables at a time. So they were doing an analysis, and I think it was a, it was, it wasn't a, it was a combination of many different researchers that look in one variables, but they were combining all of those at the same time and looking into the distrib. And yeah. I need to say, those graphs didn't make any sense to me because they were drawn in the like a pyramid way. So you obviously have interactions with you know each thing interacting with each mm -hmm. thing, and with each thing you had a heat map with also a pie chart in it and. It was just a mess because it just showed. Yeah, I mean, you, you just get a combinatorial yeah, explosion of, of possible interactions. Yeah, basically, you, if you looked at it, you would know, that, like, you, you had, it had, like, the graph had three dimensions plus all those interactions together, and it just basically was a giant bloody mess. It made sense. If they were like, oh, you know, this concept, like, if you look mm. at these variables together, these variables have predominant effect compared to the other ones. But. Mm. It was a, a ma. It's just a pure mess. So I. 
Yeah, I mean to to take it back to the programming analogy, right? It the code has a lot of side effects. Yeah. Right? There's not like a nice, clean, functional, referentially transparent setup where you know you call the function, it does only one thing, it returns the result. No, everything talks to everything <laughs> yes. else, right? The b- biology like hates restrictive yeah. scope. Everything is a global scope, and everything affects right. everything else. <laughs> everything like, is a global variable, uh, and if you don't like it, then you know it sucks to be you. Yeah, it's like worst possible programming design practices uh, just like implemented in there and like everything's a crazy hardware hack that makes use of weird unexpected behavior from the underlying biology (laughs) biology is the programming language that constantly uses go to function. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) that's that's what it is. Basically, Uh, you cannot go to biology without rechanging your idea of not using go to. Uh, function in your code because if you do if you do then sorry you're not, it's not gonna work <laughs> yeah so so all you like c systems programmers out there who think that your like memory bugs are, are weird and nonsensical like come to biology <laughs> we, we we feel your pain <laughs> oh boy oh boy oh boy <laughs> but i guess we have uh, drifted off the main uh well, not interested, but we did go off tangent a bit, and we still have a chapter to cover. So, yes, let's uh, pull yes. it back onto <laughs> onto the the direction. Um, so, should we do your your uh, prediction? Sure. For so, uh, my prediction was Akin is being told about going to do the ship to learn about the Onkali part of his life, um, to which maybe initially Akin is not happy because he feels he needs to learn more about the humans. Uh, and spend more time with them and learn about them. So I feel like sort of I missed in here because I mean obviously he's going to learn about going to the ship, but he's like, yeah, I'm going to the ship. I'm let's do this. Like in in a way, right? Um, in this chapter, he's just like, okay, I need to learn more, become an adult, and then yeah, I mean, uh, it, it does seem like uh, that's kind of what he's getting at. He's he's. Uh like concerned that he's not going to be taken seriously because he's still not an adult but uh he's been kind of you know biding his time uh, until that point uh, yeah. so that he can but it, there's also there's a lot of little um uh kind of minor characterization beats throughout this yeah. this chapter that kind of give the um give the impression that um uh Tino was was right about him being in a kind of uh, and also kind of to count about him being in a kind of quasi adolescent yeah. human state. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's start the chapter, I guess. Um so it starts mm. with Akin thinking about bonds. Um not financial bonds, but relationship bonds. That his world was made up of tight units of people who treated him kindly or coldly as they choose, but who could not let him in no matter how much they might want to. He thought about the fact that initially, mm-hmm. when his closest sibling Tikuchak, uh, um, I think it's Tikuchak. Tikuchak, okay, was still unborn. He could not reach the uh, he could reach out and taste it, but now after he missed the creation of the bond, he didn't want to spend any time with it, and now it wanted to go to Tikuchak with him. Akin complained about it to Dichan. <laughs> I don't want to take my <laughs> younger brother with me. <laughs> <laughs> but he <laughs> yeah uh, but he was told that his siblings is also lonely and both of them need to learn more about who they are 
Although Akin says he knows what he is, mm. Chan reminds him that he's the same sex child that he, and that is about to undergo metamorphosis. And Akin knew this and needed to listen to Chan because of his nature. I wrote it this way, but in book it was actually more specific that when Chan says that no, mm. he's the same, he's his same sex child and he's about to go to metamorphosis, Akin felt inclined, I think, by his nature to listen to him. Like, it was biological. Yeah, but it, he also kind of felt, like, um, like resentful of that inclination. Yes, yes. Right? He was, like, going off and sulking in the forest and, and kind of pissed at the fact that he felt inclined to, to do what yes, the Yes, exactly. Said. And the book, the chapter continues, the paragraph continues that he tried to, as you said, resist that inclination, deeply resenting it every mm. time he returned to nag him. And the fact that no one came after him or seemed surprised that he came back home. So... Hmm. Yeah, he was giving a Akin was giving a teenage tantrums, and nobody was paying attention to him. Oh, so sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yep. Um, but this is now interesting. So we're gonna ta- be told about the shuttles. Well, this was all taking place. The shuttle that came down on the um, on the planet already ate a chunk of clearing, hmm. and this is a bit of excerpt. I didn't want to summarize because this was actually quite interesting description Mm. of that it was a great green shell thing a male itself to the degree that the ship entities could be of one sex or other each one had the capacity to become a female but as long as it received a controlling substance from the body of tkachta it would remain small and male it would extend the reach of tkachta by investigating planets and moons of solar systems bringing back information supplies of minerals life it would carry passengers and work with them in exploration, and it would ferry people to the ship and back. Akin was never inside of one mm. and was not allowed to link to it until he was an adult. So we're uh, yes, as we talked before, um, we know that these ship entities, these shuttles, are mostly male, unless mm. the big ship, big mothership, says, "Yeah, you can be a girl." Yeah, it's, it seems like um, a bit like. Uh, something you might get in some eusocial animals. I'm thinking of um, uh, naked mole rats, where you have like uh, there's a kind of queen, um, and the there's some kind of hormonal or pheromonal type influence mm-hmm. over the. Um, it's typically kind of a. It's not a male morph per se, but like a a female morph that's that's not fertile effectively. Yeah. Right, it kind of suppresses the yeah, fertility yeah. of of like a, a female worker caste, and then you have a, a few males. Um, but I think that there are probably analogous biological situations where you might have a uh, a male that would would uh, transition to become female. Actually, that's the thing with and we've talked about a fish that does that before, haven't we? Yes. Can't remember which fish. Yeah, but that that general pattern. Yeah, it's a, nice to see it reused here in the context of the uh, giant spaceships. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Well, I mean, in as we've discussed a lot of on the summary of the previous um, part, there's a lot of topics that's gonna repeat itself because they're pretty good in terms of um, explaining some stuff. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, there are some. So yeah, we talked about the fish, and uh, I think we mentioned the book one even the mole rats and the whole queen thing. Um, Probably. Yeah, yeah. but. Uh, here you put a note about the propulsion system was still not stated and it's true they didn't they didn't Ah, say anything because they'd they'd (laughs) say that um the ship like for example was like a um a hill looking thing and whenever it's in the sky Mm. it's a sphere but we are not told anything about the fact that um it's 
whether it, you know what what's going what is it going to propose itself it's going to be like a sl- slingshot just go bon- start bouncing up and down <laughs> yeah like how it transitions from the uh, uh the hill like state to the giant floating sphere of interlocking because i mean you, you have to that, uh, you have to space. reach the speed of 27000 kilometers per second to uh to propose yourself to escape the um atmosphere of the planet so the thing is going to bounce fast <laughs> to uh to be able to <laughs> well yeah i mean this is the, the the problem with the whole like slingshot style or, or like giant gun style propulsion approach is that y- you have to like squash everything if Basically. you're gonna do that right you can't you can't put humans in uh in a giant cannon and fire them fast enough to go into space without splatting basically humans. yeah <laughs> so i don't know what's yeah. what's the proportion they're gonna use here is this some sort of like uh, as Lich, Rich's loved uh, nuclear propulsion, just basically just start bouncing up. But uh, yeah, I wonder what it's gonna do. I mean, yeah, it massive doesn't really fart feel bubble. Very it, does it? I, I bet it's a <laughs> massive fart bubble. It's just gonna like, and then just shoot up. So yeah, a, a conventional chemical propulsion yes. system of some kind, but but then it's it's it seems like it's single stage, so that's not really enough. Uh, like the rocket equation doesn't really let that one work uh, for the masses. What if? So I don't know. Um, what if? Okay. Mm. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, what if the mothership extends like this massive appendage, and just goes down and just attaches and then sucks it back up? I mean, it have to be like I don't know, two hundred kilometers mm-hmm. in length. Uh, yeah, potentially even, even, longer, even, yeah. even more. If I mean, if if you're out in geostationary, that's what like thirty-four-ish thousand. But yeah, yeah, it could be something like that where you have like a, a space elevator style skyhook deal where you just sort of pull it up. Don't know. Although uh, you'd need something to to um, push your own orbit back out, right? Because you 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 deorbit yourself a little bit in pulling up whatever it was that you were pulling up. Yeah. I think uh, my don't know. My orbital mechanics are not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. I hope that's gonna be explained later on, uh, unless Octavia mm. Butler is just like, nope, I'm not gonna mention it ever again, and it's it's gonna kill you. I mean, this is one of those things where I, because it gets so little like specific attention, I'm kind of okay with it just being in the background, right? We're just gonna assume there is some like magical impulseless pr- propulsion of some kind or rather that the Owen Carly have mm-hmm. cracked at, 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 at some point and, and and we're fine right I don't know they've got some you know, crazy ass gravitational lensing deal going on who knows but it's uh you know whatever it is it, it's probably not like key to the story yeah <laughs> that's the 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 way that it's uh, been done effectively right we don't need to know about that aspect of their technology very much uh because it's not particularly relevant to to points in the plot or our, our characters but um yeah i mean it does serve as a um a big old um oh we're, we're we have a massive technological gap here because they're doing a thing that we yeah. don't understand that probably involves new yeah, physics possibly, but i <laughs> it's always one of the things that gets me in um uh like uh the alien show up movies and the military types are always like you know, well, how do we prepare to fight back and whatever it is? It's like the physicists in the room should just be like, like, no, 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 right? They're using an impulseless propulsion system, right? They have new physics. Yeah, this yeah, like generally, like <laughs> it's like, yeah, we're gonna send a nuclear weapon. It's just like, 
Yeah, the thing can just literally move vertically in the space in the speed that's, you know, it normally would kill humans or like... Yeah, it's like if if they've like cracked inertial dampening and then they have like impulseless propulsion, we're done, right? This is not a, this is not a we fight we back like scenario. Success. This is a we ask for terms yeah. of surrender scenario. Can we parlay? Can we... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's, let's oh. move on, I guess. Um... Akin mm-hmm. decided that he, once he was an adult, he will speak for the resistor. At this moment, his voice would be ignored and would not be heard without amplification of another adult member of his family. Nikaj told him the story about Lilith and the fact that he was right but was ignored because of his maturity. And Akin was not going to make the same mistake. And I think the mistake he uh, references about the Paul Titus situation. Hmm. I think this is what Nikanj was talking about, the whole idea, you know, that one thing was the Paul Titus, second thing was about uh, Lilith being um, Mm -hmm. put into the prison with the humans and waking them up and then telling them about the aliens without, you know, telling the, you know, the the actual showing the aliens. Yeah, yeah, I think that's actually, uh, yeah, the the primary thing was was when uh, Paul Titus uh, attacked Lilith. Uh, uh, I think it was like the the most impactful kind of occasion when when Nikan yeah. was ignored. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's the. Um, I think there were several occasions that I think we noted on where like Nikan has a point here. You should probably pay attention to, to Nikan. She's understood this better than you have. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So yeah. As Akin was looking at the hill-looking like ship, he heard his name called to find Achtjes behind him. The females had 16 toed feet that allowed for walking without any sun, which was important for survival. She came to see him because once she sees him, uh, you know, because once she sees him again, he might not be child anymore. But Akin refused that because he started saying, you know, I still have a few more sh- uh, years away from changing. As kids do, and I just tell, tells him that his body will adjust fast and he should see everyone. Although not wanting, I just understand that he doesn't want to leave and does not say goodbye. She knew he didn't even go to his resistor friends, which made Akin feel embarrassed because he knew uh, she could tell he was with the woman even though he washed himself. Um, <laughs> she tells him that he should have gone to them as well because he may undergo metamorphosis and may not recognize him. And the chapter ends with Arctis making Akin follow her to the village to say goodbyes. Hmm. Yeah, and the, the final line there is uh, he followed her back to the village feeling resentful and manipulated. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, so this entire chapter is just like dripping with various things where Akin's like very clearly got adolescent brain yeah, syndrome. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, just <laughs> like, yeah, you yeah. should say goodbye. Why don't wonder? Yeah, I'm off sulking in the forest because I don't want to do what I'm told but I'm upset because no one's noticed <laughs> he's going through his goth phase of um, you know like no one understands <laughs> me anymore yeah, yeah right at the beginning with the different groups where it's like no I'm not part of any of these groups <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah I so, mean uh, my chapter 3 prediction is basically they're gonna go back to the village probably Akin's gonna sulk a bit to not want to say goodbyes but at the end he'll have to because it's time to say goodbye and to go onto the mm-hmm. ship so you know whole teenage uh, uh, stuff and, and again. yep oh, poor Akin <laughs> <laughs> oh boy oh Got some human puberty to deal with, and they've probably got all this weird Ankali shit. Yeah, I mean, the, to be honest, <laughs> the, the metamorphosis. I feel like it'd be easier yeah. not to have that human part of him, but hey, sucks to be him. Yeah, I mean, the metamorphosis thing sounds 
No, I mean, honestly... T- at least as weird. <laughs> at least we don't, like, completely change shape or whatever. I mean, yeah, that sounds really Let's weird. See. No, like, you're used to... You, you yourself mm. for, like, 20-something years, and suddenly you change, you're a completely different person, and you're like, well, that's my life now. Nobody's gonna recognize me anymore. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, worst of, of, of both worlds for the uh, the poor constructs. <laughs> Basically, yes. It's like, they got, they got the, the very... V- <laughs> bad end of the stick so oh well hmm. anyway i guess that's it for today i think so yeah yeah thank you very much everyone to uh, for listening to our podcast we are xenothesis you can find all the places we upload our podcast on xenothesis.com i was michael glinka and i was richard Acton. bye bye